When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, we focus a whole lot about the practices involved in setting up botanical-style aquariums, the nuances in their evolution, and the best practices involved in managing them. However, one of the things we're probably overdue for another discussion on is the long-term expectations of what happens in such a system. Specifically, what happens in an aquarium where we have this enormous amount of botanical materials breaking down? That's a good question. Now, first off, let's clarify some stuff. Despite the seemingly laissez-faire style of a whole lot of stuff accumulating in the aquarium, it's not just drop in the leaves and forget. There's a fair amount of technique there. Technique married with long-utilized common-sense aquarium husbandry practices. I'm a big believer in stability and deploying patience, using time-honored nutrient control and export techniques, and applying a healthy dose of observation and common sense. And these all contribute to the ultimate stability and success of our blackwater botanical-style aquariums, just as they would any other aquarium. Now, one of the things that we all experience with these types of systems is an initial burst of tint-producing tannins, which will likely provide a significant amount of visible tint or color to the water. If you're not using activated carbon or some other filtration media, this tint will be more pronounced and likely last longer than if you're actively removing it with, you know, this stuff. You might also experience a bit of initial cloudiness. And this could be either, you know, physical dust or other materials released from the tissues of the botanicals or even a burst of bacteria or microorganisms. Not really sure, but it's usually something that passes fairly quickly with minimal, if any, intervention on your part. Oh, and not everyone experiences this. Often it's a phenomenon which seems to happen in brand new tanks, so it might not even be directly attributable to the, you know, to the result of, the, of botanicals being in place, at least not 100%. It could be the sand or dust or dirt or whatever. And of course, as we've discussed, it's perfectly normal for the water in botanical-style aquariums to have a little bit of this texture to it, some sort of a normal byproduct of the breakdown of the materials that we use over time. And you'll, you'll see this continuously. So we're talking about things breaking down in new tanks. Let's talk about nitrogen cycling a little bit. One of the things I've noticed in my botanical style blackwater aquariums is that they cycle very quickly, like often less than a week. I think it's got something to do with a large influx of botanical materials in a new system. The same factors that would endanger an established system might simply contribute to a rapid growth of bacteria in an unestablished or newly established system. Now, interestingly, over the years, I've also found that nitrate accumulation tends to be almost non-existent in my botanical style aquariums. And that's kind of weird because you'd think that in an aquarium with all this stuff in it, there would be a buildup of nitrate over time. Now, I don't know if it's something which you've noticed too, but I've simply never seen a nitrate accumulation of more than like, I don't know, 0.2 milligrams per liter or something like that. Despite what I hypothesized would happen in my early years of playing with this style of aquarium, when I really got into these botanical blackwater aquariums, I found that they almost always produce little to no detectable nitrate, despite using all of this material in the tank, you know, within the tank and having it break down. I would have thought at least on the surface there'd be some detectable elevated nitrate. Now this is interesting, but I'm not the only one who's reported this. Again, my hypothesis is that yes, the material is breaking down and contributing to the biological load of the system, 
but with an abundance of microorganisms living in, on, and among the botanical materials in the aquarium, and with regular frequent water exchanges, there's a very efficient processing of nutrients going on. This is now you know, purely speculation on my part, but I think it's as good a guess as any based on the repeated similar results I've achieved in pretty much every single blackwater botanical style aquarium I've kept for over the last seven or eight years or longer. I'm sure that a more sophisticated explanation revolving around the presence of an onboard carbon sources or source or, you know, some other biological process is likely the reason. But I think we're sort of looking at the freshwater equivalent of like a reef aquarium in many respects, where instead of live rock, a lot of the microbial population and biological processes occur within and upon the surfaces of the botanicals themselves. Um, perhaps even like bio pellets that you hear about in reef tanks. It's a carbon source for the beneficial bacteria, sort of the biological filtration substrate for them to colonize on. That's not that crazy. That's kind of what happens in nature. And although speculative, and it probably needs some more rigorous scientific research to verify one or another, it's been my working hypothesis for several years. And now that we've started playing with adding live bacteria with the uh, addition of culture, our purple non-sulfur bacteria additive, I'm seeing even more interesting results in aquariums seeming to establish themselves more quickly. Again, uh, it's something that's, you know, open for research. And now, in, in my opinion, once they get through the initial startup phase, these botanical style systems that we love so much seem to run incredibly smoothly and in a very stable, almost predictable manner. If you adhere to a regular yet simple maintenance schedule, obey the long established common sense rules of aquarium husbandry, and don't go crazy with radical overstocking or trying to speed things up too much by dumping tons of botanicals into your tank in a brief span of time that is in a, a, a relatively stable tank, these systems run almost predictably. And speaking of the maintenance, I'll concede that one of the bummers of the botanical style aquarium, you know, is that you will likely have to clean and replace pre-filters, micron socks, filter pads, all that stuff more frequently. Just like in nature, as botanicals and leaves break down, some of the material gets suspended in the water column from time to time, and the bits and pieces which get pulled into your filter will definitely slow down the flow over time. I'm finding myself cleaning impellers on my you know, system pumps more often than I'd like to, but every couple of water changes, really, you'll notice it slows down. That solution to me is simply you know, to change those pre-filters frequently and clean the pumps and power heads regularly as part of your weekly maintenance regimen. It just goes with the territory. Remember, you're dealing with a tank filled with decomposing botanical materials. Good overall husbandry is necessary to keep your tank stable and healthy, and that includes the dreaded, by many that is, regular water exchanges. At the very least, you'll be cleaning and replacing pre-filter media as part of your routine, and that's typically a weekly to bi-weekly thing, as I just mentioned. Let's talk about the most dreaded of all aquarium occurrences, the appearance of microalgae. Now, people have asked me about this lately, and uh, it's something that it's worth touching on again. Now, while it would be intellectually dishonest and just plain untrue for me to assert that blackwater botanical style aquariums aren't susceptible to algae outbreaks, it's sort of remarkable that we simply don't have massive algae issues in these types of aquariums on a regular basis, isn't it? I have to admit that I've never had one of those nightmare algal blooms in a blackwater aquarium, and although it sounds like you know, could be the tannins or some other substances in the black water. That would be the obvious X factor. I'll tell you that I've never had an outbreak in any clear water aquarium I've kept either. So from a personal standpoint, I can shout my black water tanks don't have algae issues. On the other hand, none of my other tanks have had either. And I'll wager that many of you have the same level of success. Shit, that's not helpful, is it? I know. But my point is, there's more to it than just, you know, black water is an antidote for, you know, for algae. In fact, I read a study from the University of Georgia, which tested this idea of algae growth in blackwater streams to determine if the limiting factor was chemical, i.e. nutrient, or light-driven. And lo and behold, the study concluded that it wasn't necessarily some magic stuff in tenants in blackwater, as much as it was light limitation. 
Yeah, you heard me correctly. Light-limiting effects of the black water itself were discovered to inhibit algal growth in coastal plain streams. As light penetrates the water, high dissolved oxygen concentrations and suspended solids uh, can scatter and absorb light, impacting algal growth, and, and, and that makes a big difference. And, I, and when I said uh, dissolved organic, uh, dissolved oxygen, I'm sorry, I meant to say dissolved organic compounds. So stuff in the water. My bad. So, okay, this sounds like a bummer if you want to believe that black water is magic, but the study also concluded that black water systems were somewhat nutrient limited, which also affected the growth of algae, although this was not concluded to be the primary factor which inhibited algae growth. And this kind of makes sense. Uh, in fact, another study I perused about the Rio Negro concluded that it was found that there's a relatively small difference in what they call respiration rates between whitewater and blackwater rivers, and that the presumption that blackwater systems are more sterile is just sort of overstated. A lot of the material, a lot of these organics and so forth are bound up in the substrate, the soils, and decomposing leaves and so forth. The water column remains fairly, you know, fairly clean. Um, Interestingly, though, the study concluded that the higher incidence of algal growth occurred in areas in Amazonia where water movement was minimal or even stagnant, suggesting that all things being equal, light limitation and water movement are possibly more significant than just higher nutrient concentrations alone. Now, in the aquarium world, we've always said, you know, light plus nutrient equals algae, and that still makes sense. If you consider that long-held, you know, belief that within the aquarium hobby that most plants do don't do well in black water aquariums you've heard that why was that because the light you know doesn't penetrate makes sense so the long-held aquarium attitude about black water having some algal inhibiting properties is really based on the fact that it's darker i guess i mean every black water tank i've ever owned does have some algae present although being a reef guy at heart every aquarium i own has good water movement and i know that leaf litter dominated aquariums which i love i still uh am able to you know employ methods that get good water moving or get good water movement excuse me sometimes i get rambling on these things i think faster than i can talk or or maybe i talk faster than i can think i don't know well this is interesting though right because you'd think that a tank dominated by decomposing leaf litter would be a freaking algae farm right and yet i've experienced no more occurrence of algae in the leaf litter tanks that i have in any other types of setups on the other hand regardless of what system i work with i'm fanatical about husbandry and nutrient control and export that's another key factor. It just is in any aquarium. It's interesting stuff though, isn't it? And since a lot of blackwater botanical style tanks are primarily hardscape with little or no plants, the lighting we're employing is strictly aesthetic, right? So you're not hitting a tank with, you know, that has decomposing pods and leaves and stuff and no plants with 14 hours of high intensity, full spectrum light. Personally, I use LED and I keep my intensity levels very low, as low as 15 or on the low end, 15% on the low end and 20 to 25% on the higher end. It's all aesthetics. That's what it's about with me. Of course, if you have plants, it's a different story, but then you have something that's competing with the algae, so it shouldn't be as big an issue, and it hasn't been for me. Well, it certainly can be part of the reason why this type of tank magically you know, magically has essentially little to no nuisance algae, right? We pin both the praise and the blame for algae on the wrong suspects, I think. And this really deserves a lot of study, a lot of it. Let's think about algae in the aquarium to begin with. I mean, not the boring old, this is how algae problems happen in our aquariums. Bullshit lecture that you've probably heard like everywhere known to man in the aquarium world. You can find that stuff everywhere. Let's talk about how we as a group mentally are opposed to this stuff in our tanks at all. I mean, like, yeah, I know of no one that really enjoys a tank smothered in algae. It looks like shit and it's a trophy for incompetence in the eyes of most aquarists. In fact, I remember reading once that more people quit the aquarium hobby over algae problems than almost anything else. Yuck. That's terrible. 
Well, sure, algae problems caused by obvious lapses in care or attention to normal maintenance, like overfeeding, lack of water changes, gross overstocking, etc., etc., are signs of incompetence. The occasional algae outbreaks that many aquarists suffer through have all sorts of other potential causes and can often be traced to a combination of small things that went unchecked or some unusual incidents. They're typically controlled in a relatively short amount of time once the causative factors are identified. Yet as a group, us hobbyists tend to freak out about algae in our tanks, don't we? I could show you a hundred pics of algae and biofilm covered logs in the Amazon and the Rio Negro and say, see, it happens in nature. It's natural. And the typical hobbyist will still be rendered speechless with horror at the thought of this shit appearing in their tank. It's just the way it is. I can't even tell you what it would do to one of those natural aquascaping contest freaks or judges if they saw that. They might even die. You could be charged as an accessory to murder if you entered a tank that had algae in it. So not everybody gets it just like the brown water. Algae is the foundation of life, blah, 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 blah. Yes, it's also the foundation for a cottage industry of devices, chemicals, and treatment regimens designed to eradicate it. Regardless of what approach we take, natural processes that have evolved over the eons will continue to occur in your aquarium. You can fight them, attempt to stave them off with elaborate countermeasures and labor, or you can embrace them and learn how to moderate and live with them via understanding the processes by which they arise. And the algae? It's always there. It'll always be there. It's just a matter of how prominent we allow it to be. Back to the water exchanges and what you should or could do during these sessions. During my water exchanges, I'm merely siphoning water from down low in the water column. I typically don't remove the broken down leaf litter and botanical material unless it's becoming a bit of a nuisance, blowing into places I don't want it, you know, filters in front of plants, whatever. I don't remove leaves and botanicals as they break down. I'm sort of a leave them alone and let them decompose kind of guy. And I'm not going to go into all the nuances of replacement, water preparation, etc. You have your ways and they work for you. It's not really rocket science or anything, but everyone has their own techniques. The one constant is to perform regular water exchanges in your botanical style aquariums. Just do them. Like almost any aquarium, botanical style blackwater or brackish aquariums require attention, management, and maintenance. Water exchanges are really important, like they are in any aquarium, providing the same benefits. Water testing is also important too, particularly in situations where you're starting out with soft acidic water as the impact of botanicals is far more significant in this type of environment. For many hobbyists, water testing is a periodic thing done as a, you know, on an as I feel it kind of basis. Personally, I think the benefits of a more regular testing schedule yields a lot of good information for us. Your testing regimen should include things like pH, TDS, alkalinity, and if you're so inclined, nitrate and phosphate. Logging this information over time We'll give us some good data, you know, that we can all use to develop our expectations and continue to, you know, develop best practices for water quality management in these kinds of tanks. It's important for the hobby overall to document as much information as possible about how our botanical style blackwater aquariums establish and operate. This gives us the widest variety of hobbyists access to the most reasonable set of expectations about these systems. It's one thing if I'm out here talking about it, but if 30,000 people are saying I've had the same experience, totally different story. Remember, it isn't just about a new aesthetic approach. It's about a more holistic sort of natural approach and methodology. That's what this botanical style aquarium is all about. Now, algae and the fears which accompany it are not entirely unfamiliar to us. However, I think that if we take a more holistic mindset about it, we'll be in a better position to deal with it. So before you siphon out that algae patch, pull that group of weeds from your lawn or blast adaptasia anemone from your, with caulk water if you're a reefer type. Pause for a second and consider why and how the offending life form came to be in that location. And reflect upon how we can benefit by designing our aquariums to provide the optimum environment for each and every fish and plant that we treasure to grow and thrive. To give them every opportunity to do so is our challenge and our obligation. 
Stay patient, stay diligent, stay creative, stay proactive, stay consistent, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Bellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. And I look forward to spending you on the ne- seeing you on the next installment of the tin. Spending, is that a subliminal offer to help you buy more botanicals from me? Maybe it is. Maybe it's just me thinking about spending money on something for my aquarium. Hmm, good thought. Anyway, I got to run. Thanks again for spending time with me. I'll talk to you real soon. Bye-bye now. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, we have a little bit of a problem in the aquarium hobby. Now, the aquarium hobby is certainly one of those endeavors which pulls in all sorts of people with widely diverse experiences, interests, and abilities. And because of the wide net that the hobby casts, we have a huge assortment of possibilities for success. If you've been in the hobby for some time, as I have, which is like my whole life, and many of you have been lifers too, you start noticing trends, or more specifically, changes in practices, attitudes, and interest levels. I've noticed a troubling one lately, and lately I mean the last few years. In a world where people are supposedly not able to retain more than, I don't know, 280 characters of information, and where there's apparently a hack for pretty much everything, I wonder if we simply have lost the ability to absorb information on things that are not considered relevant to our immediate goal. I say this not in a sarcastic manner, but in a thoughtful, measured one. I'm baffled by hobbyists who want to try something new and simply do next to no research or self-education prior to trying it. Like, what the fuck? When you read some of the posts on Facebook or other hobby sites where an aquarist asks a question which makes it it totally obvious that they failed to grasp even the most fundamental aspects of their you know, area of interest, yet jumped in head first into this new thing. It just makes you wonder. I mean, if the immediate goal is to have a great looking tank, for example, it seems to me that some hobbyists apparently don't want to take the time to learn the groundwork that it takes to get there and to sustain the system on a long-term basis. And I suppose that it's far more interesting and apparently immediately gratifying for some hobbyists to learn about what gadgets or products they can get us to get where we want and what fishes are available to complete the project quickly. This is a bit of a problem in my opinion. And we perpetuate this by, well, dumbing everything down. We feature the superficial aspects of the hobby, how cool the tanks look, the overly stylized images of aquascaping contest winners and stuff like that, while failing to get people to grasp the basics. We often see these threads that emphasize the equipment or various brands of stuff used you know, in, in a tank build, complete with all the appropriate hashtags for discoverability. Now, I get it. I get that part. Society's shifted and discovering content's important and people's attention is a little bit different now than it was perhaps a few years ago. It's just sort of interesting to me to see this elevated in importance over stuff like, oh, I don't know, a discussion of how the damn system works or what the inspiration for it was, etc., etc. Just an emphasis on too much of the finished product and a complete absence of information about how to get there. We need to address this. Then there's those you know build threads that you see on various forums. I've talked about these many times before. It's especially rampant in the reef side of the hobby. In these threads, many of them, you'll see like a detailed rundown of the equipment, shots of the assembly, the, the solutions to the problems encountered during the assembly, which are usually more expensive equipment purchases. You'll see pics of the finished tanks, but not much more of the interesting phases of their existence. It's all very interesting and helpful, I suppose, but the weirdness starts when, oh, in about the middle of the threads, you'll see a build, the, you know, the builder asking why he's experiencing a massive algae outbreak, or why all the epistogramma, the plants, or the coral frags he just added are dying in this brand new state-of-the-art tank. 
questions and ensuing discussions that are so, I don't know, Aquarium 101 that they make you wonder why this ill-informed yet apparently well-heeled individual went off on a five-figure joyride building a dream tank with an apparent complete ignorance of many of the hobby fundamentals. And sadly, the hobbyist just sometimes quits. And I'm often dumbfounded at the incredible lack of hobby basics many of these people show. Just because you're, you know, a great DIY guy and have disposable income to buy everything you see advertised online for your 400-gallon tank, it doesn't make you a knowledgeable, experienced querist. It just doesn't. Okay, I'm sounding very cynical, and perhaps I am, but the evidence is out there in abundance, and it's kind of discouraging at times. Look, I'm not trying to be the self-appointed guardian of the hobby. I'm not trying to call us out. I'm simply asking for us to look at this stuff realistically, however. To question our habits. I mean, no one has the right to tell anyone that what they're doing is not the right way, but we do have to instill upon the newbie the importance of understanding the basics, and I think we've been lacking in that. Like many other vendors, I offer products to people, and I don't educate them on every single aspect of aquatic husbandry. I spend scant little time discussing the most basic aspects of the aquarium hobby. I have to make the assumption that an aquarist jumping into the botanical-style aquarium game at least have some prior hobby experience and a grasp of the fundamentals. Perhaps it's too much of an assumption, I guess. Personally, I'm just not interested in rehashing Aquarium Keeping 101. There's plenty of amazing hobby resources out there for this stuff. I prefer to share and disseminate information as it pertains to our unique hobby specialty. Quite frankly, I think we've done a pretty good job at it over the past five years or so, too. Educating and informing is every bit as important as selling and inspiring fellow hobbyists on this stuff. When we started Tannen, I knew that we were headed into an area of the hobby that was replete with speculation, myths, and downright misinformation, if you could find anything out there about it at all. So we started from day one, sharing all sorts of information about our little hobby specialty. It's hard to do that. I do write a lot of blogs and articles and lecture and do this podcast and lectured all over the country, all over the world for that matter. So I'm doing something to reach some people, but I suppose not enough. I need to do better. I probably need to write more about some basic stuff than I do about whatever the heck is on my mind, but I don't know. I do know that we all need to tell hobbyists like it is without sugarcoating everything. There will be decomposition, there will be biofilms, shit like that. You may have fish die. We have to keep talking about all aspects of the stuff in the aquarium hobby. It's not just, you know, beautiful award-winning aquariums and perfectly clean glass and ripples on the water surface. Sometimes it's controversial. Other times it's speculative. Sometimes we simply don't have the answers. We just have to use the observations that we make based on our experience, and we share those too. We hypothesize when we feel comfortable. We've grown along with our community, sharing our ideas and experiences in an unfiltered manner as much as possible. Uh, Our ideas and information have become more sophisticated and useful as we've evolved and the global feedback has come in. It's pretty cool. Thanks to you, our community, we've all created a movement in the hobby. I remember when I first started Tanag Aquatics and I was determined to share my passion for using all sorts of botanicals and leaves to create what I feel are you know, profoundly different types of natural aquariums than the sanitized, polished aquarium as a canvas model that's been proffered to us over the past decade or so as the shit. I knew there would be aquarists who don't get it, aquarists who would focus on the perceived negatives, you know, decomposition, uh, maintenance, having to prepare for everything before you, stuff like that, stuff that's actually the important, positive, fundamental canon of what we do. I know there would be people who might kill their fishes by adding lots of botanicals to their established aquariums without reading and following the instructions, you know, concerning preparation and what to expect. I knew there'd be people who would criticize this idea, edit the processes or, you know, recommended best practices, talk negatively about the approach and generally scoff and downplay what they don't know, understand or do. 
It's human nature when you give people something different to play with. They want to go from zero to a hundred in like one day. And I know that some of these people would go out on social media and attempt to trash the whole idea after they failed. This happens a lot. Despite all of our instructions, information, and pleas to follow the guidelines we suggested, people still freelance and do some crazy things and then they get a bad attitude when they fail. Fortunately, this doesn't happen very often. I can literally count the number we've had, you know, nasty emails on the fingers of one hand and that's in five years. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. But that's how it goes in the hobby sometimes. When you're trying new things, some people are really eager to get into them. But not all are eager to look before they leap. That's why reef aquariums, where I you know, have spent many, many years of my life, seem to be so challenging or even mysterious to some people. It seems like the rewards are so great, so cool. They want in now. And there's all these cool gadgets and chemicals and stuff that makes it super easy, right? Regrettably, many manufacturers and vendors over the years have fed this narrative by overhyping their products and conveniently glossing over the potential pitfalls of using them. We don't, just so you know. I guess that's why I get really pissed as fuck when I see somebody out there in forums or wherever jump to some speculative conclusion without the obvious first-hand experience about what we do and try to heap us into the fluff marketing PR category of brands which make generic, seemingly spectacular claims about their products and ideas. I think that's just crazy. We don't do that. We never have. We never will. Search all 600 or so of our blogs and the hundreds of podcasts we have now and the dozen or so hobby magazine articles we've written about this idea and try to find one word of marketing hyperbole or outrageous claims about what botanicals can do or this idea of botanical style crimes. You just won't. It's not in our DNA. And I'm very proud of that. Now, of course, it goes with the territory, the skepticism, constructive criticism, and outright accusations. We have to swallow our pride sometimes and just listen and decide if we're going to respond in some direct way or just keep our heads down and do what we do. I guess this is, you know, this very blog and podcast is another marker we're laying down to counteract that sort of thing. It's a continuous process that we in the aquarium hobby uh, and you know, we in the industry have to do. We have to address all this stuff, good and bad, because not sharing the potential negatives, not sharing all the challenges is a bad thing. I'm super proud that we've consistently elevated realistic discussions about unpopular topics related to our hobby sector. <laughs> yeah, we literally have blogs and podcast titles like How to Avoid Screwing Up Your Tank and Killing All Your Fishes with Botanicals or There Will Be Decomposition or Celebrating the Slimy Stuff. You gotta understand the process and what's involved. We continuously use all of our products, often deliberately in ways we never ever recommend that you try. We've literally set up systems to see how far we can push it and to see what kind of consequences could happen from misusing them. We're going to keep doing that. Because when you're pushing unusual and exotic ideas, many of which have no precedent or settled science behind them, you need to continuously document experiences and share. You need to share the discoveries, the good and the bad and the ugly. It's how we'll continue to do our, you know, our thing. And we're going to continue to do our little share to advance this hobby specialty and push beyond what's currently accepted. That's my call to all the other members of our global community. That's how we solve this problem. Hobbyists, authors, vendors, manufacturers, Go beyond this superficial, insta-ready splash and have a thoughtful, realistic, and frank discussion with your fellow hobbyists about all aspects of what you do. We owe it to the hobby, our fellow fish geeks, and most important, the plants and animals that we love so much. Stay honest, stay strong, stay bold, stay thoughtful, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenon Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tenon.